Our scripture lessons today, for those who will be listening later, come from Hosea chapter 5, verses 15 through chapter 6, verse 6, Psalm 50, verses 7 through 15, Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25, and Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. You don't have to be a Monty Python fan to be able to imagine the kind of scene that they might have done about a person who comes into the emergency room with a chunk of metal sticking out of their chest. The doctor, probably played by John Cleese, takes a look at the man and says, Sir, we have to get you into surgery immediately. Your life is at risk. This piece of metal has to come out. Then the patient calmly replies, Oh, no, doctor. I'm quite all right. Just give me some Tylenol, I'll be on my way. These things happen all the time. I don't want to make a fuss. The doctor looks at him in shock and then gives the man the Tylenol. We can see the humor in this scenario because it's so outlandish. This sort of thing would never happen in real life. Or would it? Maybe. It is happening every single day all around the world. In fact, it's always been happening, and we see it today in our gospel reading. Our gospel reading today from Matthew chapter 9 is part of the third section in Matthew's gospel, which takes chapters 8 and 9 to focus almost exclusively on nine miracles of Jesus. However, there are two interludes. Uh, the first one is on the demands of discipleship, which falls after the first three miracles, and, bef- and there's another interlude before the last three, which contrasts with the first interlude on the demands of discipleship. So what we have are three sets of three miracles. The first one, and the first interlude shows people who fail at the demands of discipleship, while the second one shows people who succeed in the demands of discipleship. Our reading starts with the calling of Matthew. Interestingly, Matthew is the only gospel writer to use his Aramaic name instead of his Hebrew name of Levi. What we see in today's passage are five examples of the unreasonableness of Jesus. Yes, you heard that right, the unreasonableness of Jesus. Now that I have your attention, let's take a closer look. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. In this story, as it is written, it is quite unreasonable. We don't know if Matthew had met Jesus or any of the disciples before because it isn't recorded. Nor is there anything about any prior connection between Matthew and Jesus recorded in Mark chapter 2 or Luke chapter 5. In all three cases, Jesus calls Matthew and he immediately leaves the tax booth and follows him. Even assuming Matthew had heard the stories of Jesus' teaching and miracles, it's still unreasonable for Jesus to expect Matthew to get up and leave everything to follow him. For one thing, a Jewish rabbi didn't call followers. They were the ones to seek out a rabbi. So Jesus' calling to Matthew was very unusual for that culture. 
Even more astounding was that Jesus was calling someone who was very likely well-to-do and asking him to leave it all behind to become a vagabond for Yahweh. From a worldly perspective, it is rather unreasonable to expect someone who has wealth to give up the good life of comfort and ease. It would be a bit like a surgeon giving up his Corvette and 5,000 square foot mansion to go become a missionary in Malawi. There was no financial security in being a follower of Jesus. He wasn't offering Matthew a 401k and health benefits. And keep in mind, Jesus wasn't desperate for followers. Remember I said that Matthew represents a direct contrast to the earlier episode of people failing in the demands of discipleship. In the previous chapter, two people came to Jesus wanting to be his disciples, and he turns them down. One is a scribe who promises to follow Jesus anywhere he goes. And the other is a man who says he has to perform his familial duty of burying his recently deceased father before following Jesus. But in his apparent unreasonableness, Jesus turns them both down. The text doesn't tell us, so we can only guess as to the reasons. And I don't want to spend my limited preaching time making a hypothesis as to why Jesus did what he did, but one thing is very clear. If he was turning people away, he wasn't desperate for followers. That's what makes the third part of the equation all the more unreasonable. Why select a tax collector? Jesus had already turned down a scribe, a highly educated and respected class of people. Tax collectors, however, were hated in Jewish society. For one thing, they were generally considered to be dishonest, collecting more taxes than what was required and lining their pockets off of the labor of others. That put them in the same moral category as prostitutes. They were also Roman collaborators, since their work funded the Roman occupiers. I think of Matthew in similar terms as Edward Snowden, who published thousands of sensitive government documents online before fleeing to Russia several years ago, or more recently, the 21-year-old Massachusetts Air National Guardsman, Jack Texera, who essentially did the same thing. They are both traitors to their country. Jewish tax collectors were thought of in the same way in their day. Imagine a pastor calling Edward Snowden and saying he's starting a big new ministry and wants Snowden to be part of it. Why would anyone do that? Wouldn't it call into question the validity of the entire ministry? Who wants a traitor on their team? To do so is unreasonable. And yet, that's exactly what Jesus did. He took an outcast and made him an incast. The Pharisees actually thought, Sorry, I skipped the page. Jesus was also unreasonable in his response to the exceedingly reasonable Pharisees. We don't know how much time passed between the calling of Matthew and the dinner party in the next verse, but Jesus and his disciples attended 
along with many of Matthew's friends, who were those who were willing to associate with a tax collector, namely other tax collectors and sinners. Not surprisingly, this was very disturbing to the Pharisees when they heard about it. Yahweh had very clearly taught laws of purity in the Old Testament, which included not associating with those of poor moral character. His response to the reasonable question of the Pharisees was to quote Hosea 6.6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So rather than outright answering their question, he calls into question their understanding of Scripture and instructs them to find the answer in God's word. I think there are two ways of understanding Jesus' answer. First, he is being obedient to the Father through his acts of mercy towards sinners rather than being stuck on external ritual. In this sense, Jesus himself is fulfilling Hosea 6.6. He is showing mercy while the Pharisees will not. The Pharisees are mistakenly emphasizing the external ritual law, which equates to sacrifice in this passage, while Jesus is telling them not that sacrifice is wrong, but it is secondary to the internal condition of the heart. Mercy or steadfast love must be the priority in our lives. The Pharisees don't understand this. The other way to look at Jesus' answer is to understand that the tax collectors and sinners are representing mercy themselves, while the Pharisees represent sacrifice. As the people who are desperate for a need of mercy, those lost in their sin naturally bring out the loving, merciful nature of Christ, who always moves towards the lost. On the other hand, the Pharisees, who live by external ritual, represent sacrifice, which is external obedience, but in their case, failed to transform their hearts. This connects directly with Jesus' somewhat confusing final sentence in his answer to the Pharisees. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the last example of Jesus being unreasonable. Who wouldn't want the righteous to be part of their ministry? On the other hand, we know that everyone has sinned, which means that Jesus calls everyone. There are no righteous. While that's true, that's not actually what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus is saying that he came to call those who recognize that they are sinners. Only those who know they are sinners also know they need a savior. The Pharisees actually think they are righteous. In their eyes, they are justified before God. So by their estimation, they are ruling themselves out of Jesus' calling because they are not sinners. The Pharisees are the ones walking around with a chunk of metal sticking out from their chest, but they don't see it as a problem. They think they are fine, when in actuality it is slowly killing them. It is they who are unreasonable. The tax collectors and sinners know they need a physician. There is a piece of metal sticking out of their chest, and they know that they will die without help. 
Then Jesus came along and not only diagnosed the problem of sin in their lives, but also offered the cure, forgiveness through faith in Him. They recognized the truth of Jesus' diagnosis and cure and joyfully accept it because they finally know they are going to live. Only those who recognize the need will be healed. They are the reasonable ones. Believers today can easily confuse themselves over this truth. As good Wesleyans, we strive for sanctification to the degree that we play a cooperative role with God in our holiness. We rightly try to obey God, but in doing so, often to start to see ourselves as the righteous in this equation and not the sinners. We know we were sinners in need of a Savior, so we accepted Him into our hearts and changed our behavior but in doing so, have forgotten that we need a Savior every day. Without Christ's continuing forgiveness, our hearts would grow cold and arrogant. Our need to be saved from our sins isn't merely in the past, but is a present reality. Without continuing to rely on our Lord's forgiveness, we start to think like the Pharisees. Have you ever looked down on traitors and sinners? I know I have. It's hard not to. We might think, I used to live like that, but I've changed. Or, I've never been tempted to do that. How could they do such a thing? Either way, the moment we are redeemed by Christ, spiritual pride is lurking just around the corner. If anyone had a right to think that way, it was Jesus. Yet we see the exact opposite. He was without sin, yet rather than being judgmental towards sinners, was drawn to them in love. And we see from the dinner party, the tax collectors and sinners were drawn to him in return. Imagine how different things would be today. If, for example, rather than publicly condemning the LGBT community over the last hundred years, the church had shown them compassion over the challenges that they face, not lying and saying that Scripture condones such behavior, but showing the non-judgmental love of Christ despite their behavior. Think of the impact that would have had if we were a little bit less like the Pharisees. As we prepare to receive communion, we must acknowledge again that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus calls the unreasonable, like Matthew the tax collector, to make the unreasonable commitment of leaving the worldly stuff behind to follow Him. He also wants internal heart transformation more than external ritual. Whether these are reasonable or unreasonable depend on if you are looking at them through a worldly lens or a godly lens. Of course, Jesus was only unreasonable from a worldly perspective. But we live in the world, and it is not easy to go against the stream. Living like a Pharisee can seem very reasonable today. The challenge for us as Jesus' followers, is to be radically unreasonable 
in the same way that he was. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.